Hey, Tallgrass at the Well has been awesome. I've loved it. Uh, we've had so many great people preaching and speaking that it's like you have to like relearn how to do it. So it's going to take me a little bit to get settled in here with you guys. Uh, don't judge me. I, I bring up like tons of notes. It's so different than Dave or Josh or Sarah. And uh, I kind of cut on the fly. It's going to be pretty cool. Uh, my son gave me this Tapu Finu um, uh, button, this Pokemon character who puts people to sleep through water. So I won't sprinkle any water on you, but um, I do watch though. I see some people sleeping, so I get it though. Sometimes what y'all need is a nap. Um, so you can love God with all your body, strength, and soul. Um, on the mingle question, I didn't talk about it with the people I chatted with, but my favorite book is the Bible. I had to say that. But if I had to choose a song for karaoke, it would definitely be Amazing by Aerosmith. I'm just pretty good at that one. So just wanted to share that with you guys. Um, so my son often is bringing me like little pieces of um, metal and he uh, brought me this one. Is this, is this thing going here? What? Is, it, is the PowerPoint going? No. Okay. That's going to impact this greatly. We'll see what happens. Well, anyways, he'll bring me a piece of uh, fake gold, and I'll see it, and I'll be like, Maddox, all that glitters is not gold. Often have you heard that told. Many a man his life hath sold, but my outside to behold. Gilded tombs do worms enfold. Had you been as wise as bold, young in limbs in judgment old, your answer had not been enscrolled. Fare you well, your suit is cold, son. I actually don't respond that way. But the thing is, his eye is caught by, let's see here, is this going to work? Oh. Cool. All right, we'll keep going. <laughs> Prayer for the machine, yeah. His eye is caught by something that glitters and shines, and he thinks it's gold. He thinks it has great value, so he brings it to me to show me. And I have to inform him, son, not all that glitters is gold. That is worth nothing. In fact, did you know that the Olympic gold itself is not primarily gold? It's like 92.5% silver. All of these athletes who are taking the podium have been duped. They thought they were competing for gold, but they've actually been competing for silver. But that's okay. So our passage this morning is 1 John 4, 1 to 6. Uh, if you have uh, the Bible in front of you, you can pull it up on your phone, a hard copy. We may have it on the screen eventually, so we'll see. Here's uh, John writing uh, to, to the church, probably the church in Ephesus, and this is what he has to say in 1 John 4, 1 to 6. He said, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets had gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come, there we go, we got it, that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, there we go, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. 
We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that we um, that have put our faith and trust in Christ have the spirit of God within us and that we can discern, we can test the spirits to know that all that glitters is not gold, but that you have put within us because we are in Christ a gold mine of treasure that we could explore for the rest of our lives to know who we are in Christ. I pray that uh, those that are here that don't yet know Christ, that, that they could lean forward, that your spirit would be drawing them, that they would be able to discern the difference between the voice of the world and the voice of your son, Jesus Christ. I pray that each of us could take whatever that next right step is uh, towards intimacy and relationship with the real Jesus, the one who was born, uh, who lived the life we should have lived but never could, who died on our behalf and rose again, sits at your right hand, and will come back one day to make all things right. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. So John uh, is conveying to his audience back then and there um, in, the, in the first century He says, to test the spirits to see whether they're from God, for there are many false prophets that have gone out into the world. So just a little bit about prophets in the scripture. So there's a big P prophet, the the Old Testament prophets. There's uh, uh, six major prophets. Those are the big books of prophecy, kind of in the middle towards the right in your Bible. And there's 12 minor prophets. And uh, we often think of them as those who predict the future. And that's one thing that they did. They did that, um, and there's some really powerful uh, predictions of the future that the scripture uses that helps authenticate his word and build our faith. But more often than that, they would call us back to worship the one true God. So they would reiterate things creatively that God had already said in the law or through a revelation prior to that. So uh, that's, 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 those are the prophets in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament and on, a prophet is one who continues to call people back to worship the one true God through his son, Jesus Christ. So uh, even with knowing that, there have been several self-proclaimed prophets throughout the years. And even as we talk about this category, you might be thinking about people that have come to mind like a David Koresh, any, was anyone alive? Remember the David Koresh thing, self-proclaimed aside? There's a lot of sexual deviancy. Things did not go well in that situation, right? So those kinds of things might come to mind. Actually, it's, it's, it's kind of a, a negative mark on the church that we have so many of these uh, recurrences, people that claim to, to follow Christ and make these failed pro- prophetic predictions. So this is just from Britannica.com, um, and it's, it's 10 failed doomsday prophecies or predictions, and you can pick your poison. This is just to show that this, this has been happening uh, from, from, the, from when Christ rose again all the way on to modern day. So because I couldn't help myself, I just wanted to recount a few of these prophecies, and to us, they'll sound just totally crazy, Right? But yet we need to to begin to discern an eye for those who speak for God. Is what they say really gold or is it fake? 
So first, I'll just choose the, the Great Fire of London. So because the Bible calls 666 the number of the beast, so this was in 1666, dun, 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 you know. Many Christians in the 17th century Europe, they feared the end of the world, right? Because it was 1666, so they thought, surely this is the end of the world. The Great London Fire, it lasted a few days. It destroyed a lot of the city, 87 churches, 13,000 houses. A lot of people saw this as a fulfillment of end times. About 10 people died, not quite the end of the world. It came and went. Here's an interesting one. Again, I couldn't help myself. The prophet hen of Leeds in 1806. A domesticated hen in Leeds, England, appeared to lay eggs inscribed with the message, Christ is coming. So this would have uh, gone viral had it happened today. People have itching ears. They want to believe some new nugget, some, some new revelation, kind of like the Gnostics, some secret knowledge. Great numbers of people reportedly visited the hen and they began to despair that judgment day is coming. By the way, all this prediction about the future, we should always be ready. It doesn't even do anything for how we should function and behave. But yet people began to despair that the coming judgment day was, was, was upon them. But it was soon discovered that the uh, eggs were not, in fact, prophetic messages, but the work of their owner, seeking a following. <laughs> wonder how much money they made off of that gold mine. They had been writing on the eggs in corrosive ink and reinserting them into the body of the poor hen. These false prophets are brutal. Got to keep going. Joanna Southcott, 1813. 42 years old, reported hearing voices that predicted future events, including crop failures, famines in 1799 and 1800. Probably enough stuff's happened and people are like, wow, she's really onto something. She began publishing her own books. Hmm, there's a little money involved. Eventually developed a following of 100,000 people. That's a lot of folks at that time. Um, in 1813, she announced the next year she would give birth to the second Messiah. Despite being 64 years old and a self-proclaimed virgin, but she died before giving birth. Didn't quite pan out. I thought this one was interesting because I actually was alive when uh, Haley's Comet went around the earth last time. Who else was, was around then? I'm, I'm getting to be one of the old folks here. Um, and you know what? In 40 years, it's going to pass again. So we can, we can wait for those who will predict the end is near because of Haley's comment. So in 1910, there was a panic. panic. There was, in, in one newspaper headline read, comet may kill all earth life, says scientists, because there was rumors that poisonous gases would come and wipe out everybody. Last uh, Wednesday, or, uh, doomsday prophecy I'll highlight is this guy, Harold Camping. And I, I didn't follow him too closely. Um, uh, if, I, I would say, hey, if you, read his, if you bought his books, raise your hand, but please don't do that right now. Um, he was one of the most prolific modern predictors of end times. Uh, he publicly predicted the end of the world about 12 times. And he, how did he keep selling the books? I don't know. Not all that is gold, uh, not all that glitters is gold. He published a book uh, called 1994 and 92. Um, that came and went, so he went after it again in 2011. In fact, I do remember this, 2011, May 21, he predicted that day. It came and went, and he just said, oh, we got to push it back a few months. How much gold is this guy stumbling upon with these fake predictions? So I'll give one maybe that, that 
could hit a little bit closer to, to home. It's not about the end times. It's about politics. There was actually uh, quite a fervor of activity, uh, people predicting, prophesying that Trump would be reelected for his second term, right? I don't know if you saw this in the news at all. It was sort of a thing. Uh, Chris Valutin, I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce his, his name, uh, he was one of, those, one of those many pastors who predicted that, and eventually he actually came out and apologized, much to the chagrin of many of his followers. Um, and this is what he said. He apologized for missing the prophecy about Donald Trump, and he said, I take full responsibility for being wrong, he said on Instagram, which I think had probably amassed a lot of followers. You know, there's a lot of influence to be had, money to be had in these prophecy things. He says, there was no excuse for it. I think it doesn't make me a false prophet, but it does actually create a credibility gap. You think so? I, I don't know. I don't know. When you predict the future and something doesn't come to happen, that's the definition of a false prophet when you say it on behalf of God, right? So I am so thankful that we're in new covenant time, not old covenant time, because Deuteronomy 18, and if you're brand new to church, you know, that stuff's in there if you go read the Old Testament. It basically says that a false prophet should die. If they predict something doesn't come to pass, that's no good. So I'm thankful that we're not under the old covenant for my own sake and also for the sake of those who, who um, prophesied that Trump would be reelected in, um, in November or January. You know, there was a shifting there as well. So, you know, all that glitters is not gold. And th this... I don't think that Tallgrass at the Well, we're largely susceptible to this type of false prophecy. There's a lot of gold in it, though, for, the, for those who are making the predictions, a lot of book sales, a lot of Instagram followers, a lot of blog posts or, um, you know, blogs, podcasts, all that stuff. I mean, it, I think it shows people are looking for something. They want to put their hope, their faith, their trust in something. That's a little bit of what uh, John's, uh, the audience he was dealing with. They, they had the gospel message, but people came along with a new message and their ears were itching to hear it and maybe buy it. So don't place your faith in these type of prophets. Uh, I, I did just finish a book, though, um, predicting the future uh, return of Christ. And I, I won't tell you the date. It's actually in the book. You have to buy it. It's $24.99. I'll be signing copies in the foyer when we're done here, okay? Um, someone's going to pull that out, um, put that on the interwebs. Now, I don't have enough charisma to gain any following on the interwebs, so it's, it's okay. I can say stuff like that. So what we need to be concerned about are the voices that sound good to our ears but are either clearly or subtly drawing us away from the flesh and blood Jesus Christ the Jesus Christ who was born in history at a, at a time and place, who lived a life in the flesh, who died a brutal death on our behalf and physically rose from the dead and sits at the right hand of the Father. That is, that, there are voices, and maybe even as I talk now, you can think about what are the inputs in your life and what are they drawing you to? Are they drawing you to a healthy relationship to Jesus or are they pulling your affections away? So despite all of these uh, types of uh, prophets that predict the future and it doesn't come to pass, 
It's really too bad because the scriptures themselves actually have reliable prophetic messages that can, can bolster our faith and also authenticate the scriptures. So I'm not, we're not going to dive into this too deep, but just so you know, whether you're a follower of Christ or you, you don't follow Christ, uh, the type of prophecy that we actually have in the scriptures, the Bible, is very, very powerful. So if you want to do a little research on your own, there's a prophecy in Daniel 9 that very clearly and with specificity points to when Jesus will die. There's nothing like this in any other world religion. People try to compare it to Nostradamus and all sorts of other types of writings. This stands apart, and this is actually how God has chosen to self-authenticate his word. There's a prophecy in Psalm 22 about how Jesus will die. If you dive into that, you study that, it will bolster your faith. So when you're you, your emotions are down and, and you're despairing, you can come back to this type of evidence uh, to know that what you've put your faith in is true. And Isaiah 53 uh, talks about what Jesus' death will accomplish. And you can take a deep dive into any of these three prophecies, and there's others there. And this is substantial. So this is one of the reasons it's frustrating when people bear the name of Christ and make fake predictions because people want to throw it all out. Please don't do that. When people want to pull you into someone who's predicting this, that, the other of the future, say, why don't we dig into what the scripture has said? It's, it's amazing. So the first test, how do you know if this is a voice from God or not? How do you know if you've stumbled upon gold or fool's gold? John says, by this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard was coming and now is in the world already. So the first test is, what do they say about Jesus? About Jesus. That is the most important question any of us can ask is who do I say Jesus actually is? And this question comes up in the middle of Jesus' ministry. And when he's, he's hanging out with his disciples, and he just asks them, you know, who, what do people say about me? What are people saying about me, Jesus Christ? And they say, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're one of the prophets. And think about yourself, but also your friends, your family. What do they say about Jesus? I don't know that I've met anyone who didn't like Jesus. So they, they, maybe they think he's a good guy. They, they taught some good stuff. Maybe they don't even think it's important if he was real because he just left some decent ideas. But then Jesus turns a question to them, but he says, who do you say I am? And Peter answers, you are the Christ. You are the hope of Israel. You are the one that we're gonna place everything on. Where else are we going to go? You have the words of life. And he didn't quite even fully understand the implications of that at that time. I'll give you one message. Um, and I won't tell you who this is. If you're interested, you can ask me later. You can uh, check out my notes. But I think this is sort of the air that we breathe in our culture swirling around who Jesus is. So these are words from a, 
a popular author, blogger, podcaster, activist. Uh, This person has a lot of charisma. They're able to gain a following. And this is what they say about Jesus. I remain compelled by the Jesus story, not as history meant to reveal what happened long ago, but as poetry meant to illuminate a revolutionary idea powerful enough to heal and free humanity now. How does that feel on the ears? It feels a little like, oh, it feels so close. Does it kind of scratch where that itch is? There's, there's, maybe there's a lot of, of good in there, like, you know, 7.5% gold, like on the gold medal. But listen to what they're saying. Not interested in history, the historical Jesus, the Jesus who came in the flesh, the Jesus who died and rose again, the Jesus who's not an idea but is a person, the creator of the universe, the one whose our whole purpose in life is to get back into relationship with that person. No, they're interested in this revolutionary idea. Who gets to fill in what that idea is and how that heals our world? Whoever makes that quote, right? The real Jesus doesn't get to set the terms and parameters of what that is. This is just a way to gain a following, gain, itch, scratch some ears so that you can then go on and say whatever it is you want to say, whatever your agenda is, whatever your revolutionary idea is, whatever hope you want to bring to the world. Jesus is not some myth, some story, some idea that kind of... Uh, you know, makes good movies and, and, and sits well and makes us do a couple more good things. He is a person um, that, that, that desires our whole life, that wants to be in relationship with you and me. Peter says this in 2 Peter 1.16, because I think this is the air we breathe. The real Jesus isn't what's important. It's just his ethics that we love one another. That's what's important. That is important, but we have to believe in in the real Jesus. Uh, Peter says, we did not follow cleverly devised myths. He says it, Jesus is not a myth. When we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We saw it with our own two eyes. So this is the type of message that we need to be able to sift through and see what is that person actually saying and get back to the real gold that we find in Christ. Timothy let us know in his writing, there's a time will come when people will gather around them, uh, teachers that will tell them what their itching ears want to hear, and they'll accumulate for themselves teachers that will suit their own passions. So the way of the cross demands repentance, turning from your, your current trajectory towards Christ. So if your version of Jesus isn't demanding a change in your life, then you've got the wrong Jesus. And that is not how you come into relationship with Christ. His grace abounds, but the real Jesus is calling us uh, to to follow him. And so we don't want to pull around us teachers that just affirm 
our, our, how we're living our lives even now. So that's the, the, the first test. What do they say about Jesus? John goes on. He says, they are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. In the message, it says, the world eats them up. So you can think about all of the books sold, all of the, the podcasts downloaded and listened to, the blogs back in the day, the TED Talks, all of the things, all the influence. The world, it, just gaining a large following, a large influence doesn't mean you're right. But our, our world uh, tends that direction. Our world eats it up. He says, but we are from God, and we here is John identifying with the apostles. We, the apostles, those who've seen with our eyes, touched with our hands, heard with our ears, the one true God, Jesus Christ. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So the second test. There we go. Do they teach what the apostles taught? What the apostles teach and taught. So the apostles all died for what they said about Jesus. They didn't make a killing off of it. They were killed for it. That's a huge distinction. Now, just because someone might have a following and is popular doesn't mean that they're wrong, but it certainly doesn't mean that they're, they're necessarily right. All that glitters is not gold. There is a lot of money, uh, and if you want to take a deep dive into some of this stuff, there's a couple podca podcasts I can, can point you to, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, uh, The Holy Post, things that will take you into just this, this um, the evangelical industrial complex and how much money is wrapped up in all of this stuff. That um, the apostles, they were not chasing money. They were following the lead of Christ. The, the prophets in the Old Testament, the same way, those guys were not making money off of their predictions. They were actually uh, scorned and, and killed for it. So this is, this is, this is tough. Do, do the influences in my life, those that I'm listening to, they teach what the apostles taught? Paul says in Romans 12, do not be conformed to the world. Go ahead. The way of the world, do not be conformed to that, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The renewal of your mind so that by testing you can discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So what steps are you taking to experience a renewal of your mind? This is a, this is a good question. This is a hard question. You might want to do an, an audit of all the inputs in your life. And that, that might be a good activity, actually. What books am I reading? What, what podcasts am I listening to? What, what uh, Instagram people am I following? What, what, am I, what am I ingesting? And is it helping me be transformed by the renewal of my mind so I can discern uh, the difference between the way of the world and the way of Christ? The early church... In Acts 2, uh, 42 to 47, there's this beautiful description of the early church. So Jesus lived, he died, he rose again, he sits at the right hand of the Father, he sends his spirit. And the, the, uh, those gathered in Jerusalem, they began to meet together. 
And this is what they did. This is what the early church looked like. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Those are good things to devote ourselves to. So no matter what happens with tall grass at the well, and we're having a great time, and we're looking forward to getting into the fall and relaunching groups. Who's ready for groups to happen? Yeah, I think, I think the pandemic has been hard for many, many reasons, but one of the most difficult things for the church is the disruption of, of groups, just gathering in smaller groups, smaller than... I would love to get to know each and every one of you as much as I can. I'm available for coffee, lunch, let's do that. But I can't get to know all of you as well as I can get to know those who could gather in my home in a small group weekly. And what are we going to devote ourselves to? Um, the apostles' teaching so that we can discern uh, the, the way of Christ and be renewed in our mind. So groups centered around the apostles' teaching and food. Can I get an amen? Yes. And prayer. So those are good things. The author of Hebrews, in how timely are these words? He said them back then and there, but they're so relevant for us here and now today, 2021. I've been saying post-COVID, but it's not post-COVID, is it? USD 383 and K-State both re-implemented masks. I'm switching away from handshakes. I've shook shook a few hands today, but man, this is so hard. We we need to follow Christ closely to, to learn how to do this even in this time and now. The author of Hebrews says, let us consider, let us think deeply about how to stir up one another to love and good works. We're created in Christ for good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. And one thing that's been interesting through this pandemic is I have seen some people grow in their relationship with Christ leaps and bounds. A little lockdown didn't shut down anything. They looked for ways to connect. And I've seen others who've just totally drifted off and allowed COVID to be the new, you know, I'm busy card. And no shame on anyone. No, no shame. Grace abounds. We're all here right now. We all have a step of repentance to take to turn back again to that way of life. But this author says, let's not neglect meeting together as is the habit of some but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. My prediction about when Jesus will return is that today is closer than it's ever been and that tomorrow will be even closer. So I just predicted that. But as we see that day drawing near, we are to keep gathering, not neglect it, gather more and more in devotion to the apostles' teaching. A couple sobering stats. Um, U.S. church membership um, falls below majority for first time ever in U.S. history. So uh, here's a quote. In 2020, this is from Gallup poll, 47% of Americans said they belong to a church, synagogue, or mosque. So this is just all religious affiliation. In 2020, 47% said they belonged. That's down from 50% in 2018 and 70% in 1999. And if you whittle that down even to find a, those that gather in a church that teaches about the historic Jesus, which is harder to find than you might think, that number has, has just goes way down from there. In uh, Tom 
Rayner um, writes an article called The Once a Month Churchgoers Are Becoming More Common. He says, one of the most disturbing trends we're seeing is the decreasing frequency of attendance. So two decades ago, a frequent church attender was considered a person in church services or activities once or twice a week. So back in the day, at least when I was growing up, if you said I'm a regular churchgoer, it was twice a week, right? It was Sunday morning, maybe Sunday evening, probably Wednesday evening. So we had that. Well, now, if you say, oh, I'm a regular church attender, pre-COVID, that meant you went twice a month. That's pretty good. Uh, man, I'll take twice a month. That would be awesome in today's age. Well, here's a, here's a quote about... Um, the impact of the pandemic. The pandemic both accelerated and exacerbated the trend. We were once lamenting the twice a monthers in 2019. We are challenged now by the once a monthers. Again, no shame. I'm not trying to shame anyone into anything. I'm trying to just paint the picture that not, not all that glitters is gold. And how are we going to discern where life and depth and gold is found if we're not gathering together and immersed in the scriptures and the apostles' teaching. By the way, you're here. I'm preaching to the choir. This is awesome. And if you're online, that's great. I don't know, 75% credit? I don't know. I don't know how that works. No shame. Grace abounds. But we can do this. We can dig in together. So we've talked some about spotting fool's gold. Now, you know, uh, those who have to spot counterfeit currency, how do they train for that? It's kind of a common sermon illustration. You study the real thing. Yeah, I actually dug into it. That's actually how they do it. You study the real thing. So now I want to talk a little bit about the gold mine that we have in Christ. So John says in verse 4, Little children, you are from God and you have overcome them. Why? Not of your own power and might, but he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And how did he defeat he who is in the world, the enemy? By demonstrating love and laying down his life for us. And in, in Paul says in Colossians that in that act on the cross, actually Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities. He put them to open shame. He triumphed over them by dying a brutal death on the cross. And because of that reality, this is true of you and I who've put our faith in Christ. Paul says this in Colossians 1. This is what his ministry is all about. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. This mystery is that Christ is in you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So we proclaim him, we warn, we teach that we pre may present everyone mature in Christ. So we are also in Christ. Sort of a paradox. We, as we put our faith in Christ, we are placed in Christ. And yet he is in us. I want to share a story about a guy named Henry Comstock. Anyone know this guy? Well, you're about to learn. So Henry Comstock, born in 1820, he owned the richest silver deposit in American history. He was, he was kind of looking for gold, but he didn't find a whole lot of that. 
Um, so his claim had some gold, but it was hard to get to it because there was this abundance of bluish clay. Now, as it turned out, that clay was silver of exceptional purity. So the ore was so soft that they come in with shovels and just start extracting, uh, you know, bucketful after bucketful of gold and silver. Um, so you won't be able to see this super well, but you see that this is a, a map of all of the bonanzas, bonanzas, the places where all that gold and that silver were found. These excavations were carried to depths of more than 3,200 feet. So they had to go deeper, youth. Y'all talked about going deeper. Tallgrass talks about the roots going deeper. They had to dig deep to mine all of the value in Comstock's load, you know, Henry Comstock. So, um, the total product of ore extracted and milled in the Comstock district in 20 years, about 70 million tons. That's the weight of 19 Empire State buildings. In one year alone, $14 million worth of gold, $21 million worth of silver. Do the math today. I should have recalculated because I used this illustration five years ago. And with inflation now, it's got to be way up there. 311 million in gold, 466 million in silver. Henry Comstock was a wealthy, wealthy man. But guess what? He didn't know it. He did not know what he was sitting on. He had no clue. He was unfathomably wealthy when he owned this plot of land. Objectively speaking, he was wealthy, but he had no clue. In fact, unfortunately for Henry Comstock, he sold all of this claim for $17,000 months after he owned it. They still named it after him. So he's got to be up there wherever he is, just like, well, if he's in Christ, he's having a good time. Trade all that for the riches of Christ. So if you read his story, it's actually pretty tragic from there. You know, he, he kept looking for stuff, never find it. He died um, poor. But yet, at one point, he was extremely wealthy. He was sitting on a pile of gold and silver, and he traded it to chase after fool's gold. So what about us? Those of us who are in Christ and who have Christ in us, do you feel the wealth that you have that is yours objectively? Whether or not you feel that emotionally, the, the wealth, the treasure that you're sitting on, the gold mine that you have inside of you as Christ in you, as you are in Christ. Man, you are sitting on a pile of gold, my friends. For those who've put their faith and trust in Christ. This is why Paul has to pray for the believers in Christ. He, he prays in Ephesians 1, he says, Dear Lord, have the eyes of their hearts opened so that they can know the glorious inheritance they have. That's my prayer for you and for me, that we can know the gold that we actually have in Christ so that we're not drawn away to fool's gold as it's coming at us almost 24-7. And Paul has to pray for the believers that their inner spirit would be strengthened so they can know the unfathomable depth height and, and length of the love of Christ for them. The love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, he prays that they would know that. 
So I want you to, to close your eyes and just hear a little bit of the riches that you have in Christ. And if you don't know Christ, that's okay. Totally welcome you here. In fact, that's one of the reasons we planted Tallgrass Church, and I know that's one of the reasons the well exists, is, is to create space for people to come and ask their questions, bring their pain, bring their cynicism, bring their difficulty, their skepticism, and dig in to the claims of Christ. For those who are in Christ, listen just a few of these, these riches that we have in Christ. Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So for me, when I wake up at three in the morning and I'm burdened by anxiety and I feel condemned, this is objectively true of me. No condemnation. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is past, the new has come. So when I continue to fail, I lose my temper with my family, I can come back to this truth that I am a new creation being shaped and conformed to the image of Christ. Galatians 3.26, in Christ, you are all sons of God through faith. You are all sons or daughters of God. So when I feel like an orphan, when I feel alone, I can come back to that gold mine that I am a, a, a son of the king. Just a couple more. Philippians 4, 7, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. So when I'm... Um, ransacked by anxiety, I can have peace because I'm in Christ. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and he covered it up. Then in his joy he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys that field. As we wrap up here, and I'll have the band come up, I'm just going to put one passage up here. And um, let you just sit in that wealth that you have in Christ, that inheritance that far surpasses Henry Comstock's load, his, um, his wealth that he had that he never realized. Don't be someone who follows Christ just for some fire insurance, but hasn't dug into the depth of all that you have in Christ. So as we, we move towards this next song, we'll just leave this slide up here. You can read it on your own and just experience the riches you have in Christ. Dig for that gold. And if, if you don't yet know Christ, you are more than welcome to be here. Cry out to him. He wants relationship with you. And let's talk after we're done this morning. God, thanks so much for the morning. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and all the riches that we have in him. I pray that, that you would help us, your sheep, to hear his voice and to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching and that we would see many uh, come into the kingdom through your work at Tallgrass at the Well, that we would be able to baptize people who are identifying with Christ just beginning that journey of, 
of exploring all the riches they have in Christ. Pray for those of us that have been trying to follow Jesus for many, many years and, and maybe the Christian life feels boring right now. Would you light a fire in us? Uh, remind us of all that we have in Christ. Father, we love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. This teaching was recorded in partnership between Tallgrass Community Church and The Well. For more resources like this, visit tallgrass.church and thewellmhk.com.